Now, if you'll take out the other announcement that says New City Regula. New City Regula has this word is abide on the front. And I want to introduce you to something that we are going to be using as a tool in the New City community. This is not some uh, law or some burden we're placing on you. It is a tool we're making available, <laughs> giving to you that we will increasingly uh, put, you know, put in your hands and it'll be in development. It says on the back page it's 1.0. That means it's just we're just starting it, right? We're just... Uh, it's in, it's in R&D process as we go, but we want to begin to talk in familiar and consistent ways about a few things. And let me, if you open that, um, open that pamphlet, and I just look at the first couple paragraphs there, what is a regula? Regula is a Latin word associated with the concept of a trellis for holding up branches of a vine or promoting growth. It's a word used in ancient times by Christians to describe a structured framework like a trellis, See the nifty little diagram there, little picture there. On which life with Jesus can grow organically. A regula is an aid to help us graciously receive what Jesus has for us. Regula can also be translated rule. And these same ancient Christians incorporated this into what was historically called a, quote, rule of life. This was not referred to, keep. this doesn't mean keeping the rules, right? It's uh, um, but a way of life that is intentionally measured or placed, like a ruler, right, uh, in its abiding in Jesus. The fruit of this abiding is deepening joy, honesty, strength, and freedom. So in the New City community, we want this deepening joy, honesty, strength, and freedom for everyone. So the truth is we all, that second paragraph, continually need grace. Wherever you are, this is what we need. We need the mercy of God flowing into our life. Uh, and a regular or a rule is just sort of a cluster of simple pathways for receiving grace. To that end, we want to invite you to consider adopting some or all of the pathways in this uh, with the goal of increasing flourishing at the personal and community level. So this is just a tool we're dropping into the water that we will continue to use over time. We'll build it up, build it out, refer to it, train from it. But we want to, we want to make it available to you, to make you, to have, for you to have an awareness of it. Um, and we want to think of these as uh, ways of placing ourselves before the Lord so he can change us. If you turn over to page 5, you see that diagram there, which is both kind of what we're working off of and the current extent of my creative ability. You know, we are rooted in loving union with Jesus. And that's, what, that's, that's the fundamental reality about people of God. In Jesus has united you to himself. If you have faith in him, through faith in him, you've been united to Jesus. And all of these benefits in Christ flow to us. We experience the reality of that as we give ourselves to him and abide in him. And that's a daily basis. Uh, these are regular rhythmic things, as Ben mentioned. And that trellis there has different like levels of that trellis. These aren't going up like getting better. They're just like different rungs we, the, the vine can grow on. So under there it says, consider adopting or adapting any or all of the following pathways. Once you have begun, feel free to experiment with them to find out what both challenges you and fits within your life, right? We're not giving you a mold to fit into. We're trying to give you some pathways to explore. Remember, the goal is not perfection or winning or competing. Uh, the goal is abiding uh, in our loving union with Jesus right where you are. 
All we want for you is to have more of Jesus. That's it. All right, if you're afraid you're going to compete with somebody else if you use this, don't talk to them about it. I don't care. It's a tool, right? It's not, um, there's no merit in doing these. There's no demerit if you don't. They're just pathways we want to talk about together. So we want to think about, if you turn over there, uh, four different pathways. Uh, and we're not, this isn't something to do all at once. These are just ideas to work into our life, to experiment with different things. First of all, I'd like you to consider an, what we might call an hourly pathway or a, something that's regular, routinely pausing to acknowledge our loving union with Jesus. And I'm going to just say approximately once per hour or at some frequent interval through the day. For me, it's just easier to think about an hour. And I'm just, we're just talking about a few seconds. If that's a scripture verse you're memorizing, we just, you know, this is where you can use your interruptive technology in your phone or your watch or whatever interrupts you all the time when you don't want to be interrupted. Set it to interrupt you once an hour and just, hey, remember this Bible verse. Or we're going to ask ourselves a question. What story am I living in right now? Who am I called to love right now? Or maybe it's a short prayer. Like uh, I've been saying something along the lines on the routine basis of, Lord, by your spirit I am in you and you are in me. Father, you are generous, you give freely, I do not have to strive. That's it. That's what was that, like eight seconds? Pause, think about that, move on. Occasionally that happens, my watch goes off in the middle of a conversation. What do I do? Well, I just do it the next hour, right? We're just talking about pathways that we can familiarize ourselves with the loving union we have with Jesus. Um, daily pathways. Some of you are doing these already, right? We encourage everybody to just take some silence, if at all possible, I realize, depending on your home, that might be easier or harder. I get it. But silence is the way we get clear on what's actually going on in our own soul and life. Maybe experiments with that. Scripture is just listening to God. Well, we want to encourage people to read the Scripture. Some of you are on a through the Bible in a year plan. That's cool. That's very ambitious, right? Great. Some of you just want to read a few Scriptures at a time. That's fine, too. We're just talking about stopping, listening to the Lord in the Scriptures. Also, praying, which is simply not, that's talking to God, right? Different kinds of prayer was mentioned there, but we want to encourage prayer in the day. I like rhythm. I like, I like rhythms because then I don't have to think about what I'm doing. So I just like to stop three times a day, morning, noon, night. Actually, I like to engage the body, too. I want to get down on a knee, right, because I don't do that other than confessing sin on a Sunday morning. Engage the body. Short prayer. Just brings everything back. Maybe a prayer of examine at the end of the day to think back through the conversations you have in light of the gospel and say, where did I not love well? And then I want to repent of that and be assured of God's forgiveness, right? So, again, these aren't things, all these things we have to just pile on our life, but we're just trying to make pathways available. Maybe think about daily blessing or encouraging at least one other person. That might be easy in your home, but it may be, may be harder. So we want to give ourselves to that, get ourselves outside of ourselves. We want to think about weekly pathways. You are part of something right now. It's already been mentioned. The weekly pathway of corporate worship. Now, it strikes me that you can just show up and put in your time, or we can actually be a little bit more prepared, engage, and uh, as, uh, as Megan said earlier, like we can actually know that we're joining in a song that's been going on forever, will go on forever, and is a lot louder than we can sing, and give ourselves to it. Um, we, you know, some of you practice Sabbath or just taking an intentional 24-hour period of rest each, each week. We're built for that. We say, hey, either we'll take the Sabbath or the Sabbath will take us. 
right, in sickness or exhaustion or whatever. So we're kind of built for that. And then we encourage fellowship, sharing life with someone outside your own household. That could be in community group. It could be with a meal, whatever. So, again, hourly pathways, daily pathways, weekly pathways. And then finally, seasonally, these are bigger. Maybe at Advent time that's coming up, Christmas time, we're going to think about intentional generosity when everybody else is thinking about intentional accumulation. Maybe we'll think about, can you make decluttering a spiritual discipline? I don't know. Like when you're getting stuff in your home and putting up decorations, can you think, I want to get rid of something? I don't know if that's spiritual or not. Sometimes for me it is. But um, Lent, maybe take a retreat, vacation, fasting a few times a year. Again, we just want each other to think about pathways and rhythms. And here's the truth. We already have pathways and rhythms in our life. I said this a few months ago or weeks ago. Two-thirds of the people in here, right here, you you have a rhythm. In the first 10 minutes of your waking life, you check your phone, As if you're just like the, the average American. Within five minutes, two-thirds of Americans check their phone. That's a rhythm. We've trained ourselves to do that. I'm sure there are good reasons for that, all the kind of stuff. We have to do it. It's our alarm clock, all the reasons. It's a rhythm. So we, only, we already have rhythms we live by. We're just saying, hey, let's co-op some rhythms and let them feed our soul and help us to abide in Jesus. That's all. Very last page, there's a very, uh, very simple right now web page on our website that will become a source for increasing thoughts or resources with respect to this. Um, it's just bare bones right now. Don't judge it. It's coming, okay? Um, all right. So that is the New City Regula. If you've done nothing else this morning, you've already learned one Latin word, regula. When I tested this with a few people, the, the consistent feedback was, I originally called it a rule of life. And people are like, I don't like the word rules. Like, okay, cool. What is name of the Latin word for rule? Regular. Okay, so, um, but this is a, a tool. Um, we want it to be a blessing, and we'll increasingly refer to it and, and shape some things around it. So, there you go. Megan, would you come and read our scripture? Would you guys stand for the reading of God's word? John 15, 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me does not bear fruit. Sorry, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. About six years ago, seven years ago maybe, we had some blight in our front yard. I think it was a fungus 
So it turns out grass can get fungal infections. Who knew? Well, our yard became that yard, like, in the neighborhood. We drive by, and you're like, what happened there? And it's just, like, huge brown patches. It was so ugly. So we hired a landscaping company, and they came in, and they tore out the yard, put several tons of dirt down, and reseeded everything heavily, and put straw down on top of it, and said, uh, Mr. Williams, just keep the, the soil moist. Just keep it wet. But I have learned something about myself. I do not do plants well. I kill them. I'm, you know, a brown thumb, I guess. My wife is not has gifted differently. She's got a green thumb. But it was my job. The yard was my job. So I was nervous. I'm like, so I, I need more specificity than that. Do I water it once a day or twice a day? I've heard if the sun is up when you water, it can be bad for seeds because the angles of the rays. Do I need to do it in the middle of the night? What's it? He's like, hold, hold on, hold on, Mr. Williams. Um, I don't know what he was thinking, but he said, uh, we've been around for decades, our company, and this is our own specially formulated seed. For, it's created for this soil. It will grow. In fact, sometimes in the back of our trucks, if there's a crack and there's dirt in it and the seed falls in it, we have grass growing in the back of our trucks. This seed is created for this soil. As long as you get it in this soil and the soil is anywhere healthy, growth will happen. The scripture just read for us today by Megan from Jesus is teaching us one simple reality. We are created to grow in the soil of Jesus. And if that is where we are, that is what will happen. We abide in him and we bear much fruit. Jesus is teaching us this through the simple picture of a vine and branches. Now, we probably need to know, in our world, branches are big, thick things on a tree, and vine are what kind of comes off of them. He's talking about a Middle Eastern grapevine, where you might have seen it, the, the, the vine is the big thing, the center part, and from it come little branches, and the grapes come off it. So the vine is the big life-giving part. The branches are connected to it. But he's drawing an Old Testament picture where Israel is called several times the vine. Israel, as the people of God, was supposed to be the vine, and the fruit they were supposed to bear was righteousness and justice. So think about that as the vertical reality of worship and honor to God and the horizontal reality of loving our neighbor with equity. Righteousness and justice, that's what the true vine, that's the fruit of the true vine that it was supposed to bear. But every time, I think every single time, in the Old Testament, Israel is called a vine. It's by a prophet rebuking it for not being a vine. Like, you're not doing this well. Jesus then comes on the scene and says, I am the true vine. All that which Israel is supposed to do but didn't, I am the true vine. And I, through me, righteousness and justice and fruit will be born. And then, so he's giving himself as this picture, as this grapevine that brings life through the branches that are attached to it. And he tells his disciples, y'all are the branches. And by extension, us. But he tells them, he gives them this teaching on the last night before he's crucified. He will be arrested shortly after he gives this teaching. And he's already told them that he will send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to tell them he's leaving them, and they're confused. They're not quite sure what he's saying. But what he's communicating here is that this is a picture, a robust picture, of what it means to live with me in the Spirit. So this is what it means for you and me. This is the picture of what it means to live with Jesus in the Spirit right here. It's very simple and straightforward. We don't have to complicate it. It just simply, what does uh, the word abide means? It just means remain. Just stay right there. Hold on. 
Stay in Jesus. So I want to ask three, this will be abbreviated because the introducing the regular. What is being offered by Jesus, actually? Why is he offering this? And finally, how does he give what he offers? What is he offering? Why? And how does he give it? What is being offered by Jesus? Look at verse 4. He says, Abide in me and I in you. Is the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what is fruit? In the Old Testament, fruit is just a sign of health of a plant. If we read a little bit farther in this passage, and we'll get to this in future weeks, fruit is love. It looks like love. But then it might remind you like, oh, there's another place where the New Testament talks about fruit. In Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does in God's people. And it bears the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so is it love? Is it just health? Is it love? Is it the fruit of the Spirit? What is it? It might be all those things, but we don't even have to get that far. What kind of fruit does a grapevine bear? Answer, grapes. So you think of other fruit that grows on a vine. Kiwi grows on a vine. What kind of fruit does a kiwi vine bear? Kiwi. Blackberries grow on a vine. Watermelons grow on a vine. They're not technically fruit, I get it. But you see, like, it's a vine. Blackberry vine bears blackberries. What kind of fruit does a Jesus vine bear? Jesus. His life coming into our life, filling up our life, flowing through our life. Our lives bearing the fruit that looks like Christ. Us learning from Jesus, becoming more like Christ, his life being replicated in our life. And this might be pushing this metaphor a little bit too far, but just as grapes or kiwis are similar but not identical, when the life of Jesus is born out in his people, there's a lot of similarities, a lot of ways that we're like Christ similarly, but it's all different because we're all different. We often say here that we are learning from Jesus how he would lead our life if he were we in our situation. We're not learning to do everything Jesus did, but we're trying to learn from him how to do everything we do in the way or the manner he does all he does. So that means that a a Jesus-full, spirit-led Taylor Bradbury is going to look one way, and a Jesus-full, spirit-led Audrey Purdy is going to look another way. And Roger Williams... And Blake Williams, they're going to look different, right? Um, and that's going to be based on our gifts and abilities and situations in life, our struggles, our sins, our, our family backgrounds, the story we're in, the story we're headed to. It's all, there's some, you know, there's it's a lot of difference, but the fruit of Jesus is being born in us. And you just think about the conflicts we have in our life relationally or when we're really stuck in some sin pattern. What's normally happened is the, in that moment, the fruit of Christ is actually not being born in us. We can't forgive. We can't see ourselves with humility. We don't have a sense to, to push away from something that's destructive to ourselves or to others. So all Jesus, what's, what's Jesus offering? To bear himself through our life. That's the fruit. The old church father Irenaeus said, the glory of God 
is a man fully alive. Meaning this, we are created in the image of God with all these gifts and all these possibilities. And all, I don't want to sound like, sound like some self-help guru, you know, like, you can be anything you want, right? The problem is sin breaks it down, and you can't be anything you want. We can hardly ever be anything we want. But in Christ, we get the image of God back. And the reclamation project is begun and underway. And as we abide in him, what comes through is a man or a woman increasingly fully alive according to the original design intent for them. Jesus is offering to bear his fruit through our life. And I love that, way, that word too there uh, in verse 5, that you may bear much fruit. Right? We don't create the fruit. We don't build the fruit. Bear the fruit. It's an organic picture of like, this is what happens naturally. This seed is created to grow in this soil, and if it's in this soil, it will grow naturally. We are created to grow in the soil of Jesus, and we bear fruit through him. And not just a little bit of fruit, it says much fruit. I love that. Not just occasional, but much. Even in old age, I put Psalm 92 in there. Psalm 92, 12, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. They bear fruit in old age. Like I look at my age now, and I realize when I was 20, I was old at this point. When I was a 20-year-old looking at my age now, I'm like, that guy's old. And now I'm like, no, nah, not at all. Just getting started, Right? But as you age, and maybe you feel this temptation, you get to a certain point, and you know why some people get cynical as they get old. Because you see enough brokenness, you see enough stuff in the world that's just so discouraging over and over and over again. And it seems like it gets addressed, and the new generation rises up that forgets the old generation, and we do the same stupid stuff all over again, over and over and over. It's easy to get crusty. And on the other side, it's easy to get squishy. Wishy-washy. I don't want to get either one of those, but I I feel the temptation to both. The good news of the gospel is that in Christ, we can still bear fruit in old age. That's such good news. Here's another example of what fruit bearing looks like. It's in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Well, that's pretty cool. We get to ask whatever we want and God just does it. I love it. Okay, maybe it doesn't quite mean that, but it kind of does. Let me expand expand on that just a little bit. If you turn over to first, um, I can just read it for you. First John five, same author, different book. Hear these words. He says, "And this is the confidence that we have toward the Lord, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us." And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. In 1 John 5, he's saying, if you ask according to the will of God, God grants it. In John 15, he's saying, as you abide in him, he will, you could ask and he'll grant what you ask. So what's he saying? Put it together. As we abide in Christ, increasingly we ask his will. We begin to think his thoughts after him. Our desires become patterned after his desires, or his desires fuel our desires, and then by nature, we are increasingly asking things according to his will. And he says, yes, 
That's how this works. It's conformity to the image of Jesus, even though on the outside we're very much looking like ourselves and maximizing our own gifts, skills, and all that kind of stuff. Why does Jesus offer this? Why would he do this? It says right in the very first verse, I am the true vine. This is my essence. This is who I am. I am a life-giving vine. And this is one of those, there's seven, you might know, I am statements in John where, where Jesus says, I am something, and it always gets him in trouble with religious leaders because they know he's quoting Exodus 3 where Moses appears before the burning bush and God says, my name is I am. And they're like, are you claiming to be God? And that's exactly what he's doing. I am this, I am that. He's got seven I am statements. This is one of them. I am the true vine. The very essence of my being and everything I am and everything I'm about is a life-giving presence for my people. That's who I am at, at the very bottom. I am the vine. And is there any doubt about this? Our sin and rebellion cuts us off from the life of God the second person of the Trinity, God, the only begotten Son, steps into human flesh, takes on our sin and dies so that we can be renewed to this life-giving relationship. That's his intention. It's who he is in his heart as a life-giving spirit, as a fountain of living water. He is the vine. He wants to give life to his people. He's generous. That's why he does it. He also then says, you are. We are branches. It's the design pattern of humanity. We are created to grow in the soil. We are created to draw life from the vine. And apart from that arrangement, that kind of fruit-bearing life can't happen. That's what he says in verse 6. Which, in one way, you can read this as a threat, but I think I take it more as like this is a statement of fact. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Just, you got to get on, don't think Dante's Inferno. you got to get on back there. He's talking about an arboreal uh, picture where if, if a grapevine branch is disconnected from the vine, what are you going to do with it? Have you seen them? They're like, they're super skinny. They're weak. You can't build with them. They're good for nothing except kindling. So you gather them together and you burn them. Like, so this, the branch has one function, to connect to the vine and bear fruit. It doesn't have other, there's nothing good to do with it elsewise. So he is the vine, we are the branches, and then this glorifies the Father. I think Taylor will talk more about this next week, but verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Not prove like prove it, but like, Demonstrate that it's real. So what this part of this, I think, is the father looks at this fruit born, being born in his adopted children and like and says, I love it. I like it. That's the fruit of my, that's the fruit of my son in, in these sons and daughters. But other people see that too. Maybe they experience the fruit as you love well. It gives them the opportunity to glorify the father. Maybe you see it in your own life. Um, I come from a long line of men that I do not want to be like. Some of you do too. Maybe you look at your family of origin and say, um, I'm glad the beginning of the story is not determinative of the story. Very thankful for that. 
So I see that, and whether you're formed by nature or nurture, you know, whatever percentage of whatever, I know that it's real, and those pressures and shaping realities are real. And I know my own sin and my own tendency and my own inclinations. So in spite of that sin, when I see any instance of like, oh, tenderness, thoughtfulness, selflessness, selflessness, I have to think, this is the work of the Lord. Thank you, Father. See, it glorifies the Father. So as we identify sin in our life that's been overcome and the fruit of Jesus being born in our own life, we say, thank you, Father. That glorifies the Father. That's why Jesus bears this fruit. Okay, now how does Jesus give what he offers? And in sort of religious language, we talk about what's called means of grace, which is just pathways of grace, avenues through which grace comes to us. Um, and here is just through connecting, abiding in Jesus. It just means remaining or staying. It is what we might call active passivity. We want you to be actively passive. We are training our fifth of five children to drive, and he's almost there. And we're so thankful. It's a, I don't know if you've done this before. It's a bit harrowing to train a child to drive. Those first, like, hours, first hour, two hours, they are now in charge of a multi-ton vehicle in which you're riding. They've never done this before. You know, Mario Kart, not the same thing. It is, so we're thankful that we're at the end. Grandkids are, you know, the, the, the kids are taking care of the grandkids. You're on, you're on notice. Um, so, we can't do it anymore. They've been pretty good drivers. But it's this, this you got to be active. you got to be attentive. You're always looking out for what's coming. you got to distrust everybody else around you and think they're terrible drivers. Right? you got to look for, you know, people that are speeding and look twice because you can't see motorcycles. And by the way, that's why you can't get a motorcycle yet because nobody can see you. Like, it's always, it's always talking about active, 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 but there's a passivity too. If the, you're on the road and the road curves, you have to be passive and re- receptive to the road. You have to be submissive to the road. You can't just keep driving straight because you want to when the road curves, right? There's an active passivity. That's what we're talking about with Jesus. We're actively laying hold of resting in him over and over and over again. We abide in him. It's a very personal term. Abide in me, Jesus says. We can, it's a very personal thing. Yesterday I was teaching a class, and after class, a few people lined up to talk. And the, this often happens. The first person has, like, the most questions. And you can see, like, the three people in line, they're, like, getting ready. And there's guy two back who is from Myanmar, actually. And I want to talk to him a little bit about what's going on in this country right now, which is and I could tell he was just getting ready to leave. And uh, so I was trying to hurry the first guy through the conversation but not be rude. You've all been in these situations. What's the problem in that whole deal? Part of the problem is me. In that I'm limited. I can't talk to two people at one time. I can't be at two places in one time. I can't keep track of, I can barely keep track of one conversation at a time, let alone two or three or four, right? I'm limited. I have to treat people one at a time. That's it. You know, Jesus, in his state of exaltation, is no longer limited. He knows what limitation is because he took on human flesh and has a real human nature, but now he's in his exalted state, and so he understands limitation, but he is not limited. In his unlimitedness, that means, this is so awesome, he can treat every single person as if they are the only person. He can treat every single person as if they're the only person in the room or the world or the universe. 
So you can come to him, and sometimes I've heard this, like, oh, I don't want to come to Jesus with this because it's so, such a small concern, and this person over here has a much bigger concern. He's not distracted. <laughs> he can listen to your small concern and this person's large concern or vice versa. It's fine. He Don't limit him, right? Let him be who he is. He is unlimited. He says, abide in me. Make it personal. He, he avails himself to us because he's generous. He says, abide in my words. Verse 7. Um, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, right? So this is why we introduce things like the regula. Let his words live in us. This is his speaking voice to us. This shapes us to think his thoughts after him. And finally, so personally, through his words, and then let's look at, look at verse 1 again. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, if you have a pen, I want you to circle that word prunes in verse 2 and clean in verse 3. Okay? So when we think, oh, the father, he goes to the vineyard and he prunes the vines so they'll bear, bear more fruit. We, whenever you've hear, heard about that, you might have thought that means like, oh, God takes the knife to you. Right? He's going to cut something off because that's what vine dressers do. They prune you. And I don't know, to me that sounds pretty bad. God's going to cut something off. God's going to take something away. He loves you, so he's going to take something away. Um, anybody ever heard these sort of, that sort of thinking? No? I'm the only one. Everybody shaking their head but not raising their hand. Okay, I got a hand. I see the hand. Okay, right. All right. Look, the Lord might take something away. And he might do that because he has plans for us we do not understand. That's fine. That is not what this is talking about. It's just not. Why did I have you to circle the word prune and clean? It's the same word. It's the same word in the Greek. When we translate that, we say, why do we say prune? Well, it can mean to, to trim clean, which is pruning. But then you forward that into 2021, you have God with an ax, taking an ax to your life because you're faithful and bearing fruit, right? This makes sense. The careful reader, seeing two aspects of cleaning those who are already clean. So check that. God cleans those who are already clean. Says, wait a second. I just heard that in the Gospel of John, back in John 13, two chapters before this, in like 10 minutes before this, okay, in their experience. This is where Jesus does the foot washing, and, and Peter is like, Lord, don't just wash my feet, wash everything. And Jesus is like, chill out, Peter. <laughs> you don't, don't. And he, so he's teaching a lesson, right? He said to him, verse 10, uh, in John 13, it's in your insert, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he who knew who was, who was going to betray him, Judas, that's why he said not all of you are clean. So what he's saying is, Peter, you are clean in me because of my justifying work on your behalf. You are clean. You are forgiven. You are forgiven, free, and restored, Right? Now, in that, from that position, and we've taken this through church history to understand Jesus' teaching by washing the feet, like, you need daily repentance. 
So that's the picture of a person clean with dirty feet, so you wash the feet. So ongoing repentance. As those who are completely clean in Christ, we repent to restore our conscience to relationship with God over and over and over again. Right? That's part of what we do. That's what this is talking about. You are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And then my Father brings you to repentance. He cleans those who are clean. So that all that means is the way of abiding in Jesus is continual, honest repentance, turning into and receiving what Jesus has already done for us by making us clean. It's, it turns it from like really bad news to really good news in this passage. We want the Father to do that. I want to, to see my sin so I can turn back to Jesus and receive this assurance of forgiveness. And what happens is we're doing that over and over again. The life of Jesus flows in us, in, in, to us and in us and through us. And he nourishes us. That's on offer. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being the vine. Thank you for your radical generosity and availability to us. I pray that we can abide in you. We abide. Honestly, freely, truly. Thank you for your generosity. In your name we pray.